Hey, and welcome back to Dorm Room Histories, the history of China. Last week, we examined the Western Zhou Dynasty pretty deep. We started from the years just after their founding, worked through their glory days, but then saw all conquests and growth put on the shelf for a while after the failed campaign into the Chu Confederacy, which, by the way, I was wrong about, because it was not on the Yellow River Basin. No, the Chu Confederacy was instead on the Yangtze River Basin, more to the south. My bad there, but thank you for listener Mike for pointing that out. Anyway, that failed campaign, which words like failed and disaster don't even do justice to, saw not just the Western Zhou's army totally obliterated, but also saw the death of the king. The next couple kings, like King Mu, did what they could to steady the ship. But the future was a lot less open-ended now. Conquest, without regard, was now a pipe dream. Speaking, though, of King Mu... We know he didn't fully get the whole conquest is not really in our playbook anymore memo because remember how he wanted to go west and conquer the Chen Rong tribes and some others? Yeah, and remember how I said there was no real game plan for him and all that really was accomplished was making lifelong enemies of the Zhou dynasty? Well, yes. So now, nearly 200 years later, in 781 BC, when King Yo assumed the reins, those teed-off tribes were, yes, still teed-off, and they were more than happy to act upon their anger. But King Yo is where I left it off last week. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 8, The Boy Who Cried, Chen Rong. As mentioned, in 781 BC, King Yo of Zhou, who was around 15 years old from all I can gather, became the 12th king of the Western Zhou dynasty. Did I mention the 12th and final king of the Western Zhou? No, but don't tell him that though. He doesn't know yet at this point. His reign got off to essentially the worst start on a spiritual level that one could ever think of. Crowned or what have you in 781 BC, just around a year later, in 780 BC, a major earthquake hit Guangzhou, a region that lies in modern-day central China. Look, a massive earthquake will cast a ton of doubt onto the people of the dynasty about how heaven really feels about you. But no, the earthquake was not the only thing that happened. It is reported that massive landslides possibly caused from the massive earthquake also tore through the region. But in the eyes of those living back then, the earthquake and the landslides were two separate events. Man, an earthquake is a bad sign from heaven for King Yo. But now you have landslides? That's really bad. It couldn't get any worse. Could could it? Well, no, yeah, it did. It did get worse because that year it is reported that both a solar and lunar eclipse occurred. These events were far less coincidence to the people of the day, and the significance of all of these potential bad omens from the heavens were not lost on anyone. Except, they were lost on King Yo, it seems. Though, in one of the old spiritual songs found from that era, the song declared bluntly, quote, How vast the woe, end quote. Woeful was the dynasty and its people, But obviously, it's implicit that all the blame really just fell on the king. 
Though, how does King Yo go about dealing with these bad omens? Look, I know, I kind of spoiled it, but he does the exact opposite of address them. And instead, just a year after the earthquake, in 779 BC, falls in love with a concubine. Remember that trope about evil and devious concubines? Well, it's back. King Yo, though, added a whole new added level of craziness with this concubine, compared to the other evil, dynasty-threatening, and approval-of-heaven-losing concubines we have seen so far in this show. Because King Yo impregnates this concubine, and she bears a son. But look, on the surface, that happens all the time. The ancient kings, especially in China, were hardly the bastions of monogamy. But it's what King Yo does with this new child that really rocks the boat. In ancient China, at least, it was expected that the king would have many kids with many concubines and many wives, but for succession and power purposes. All of these kids could expect a government post here or a military post there. They'd be pretty set, but none of them would become king. Because only the queen's son would have that right. She was, after all, the queen heaven approved of. So in love with a concubine, like an ancient Chinese version of a T-Pain song, King Yo is in a very emotional bind. He doesn't want to upset heaven. So what does he do? He upsets heaven. King Yo decides, well, to keep his concubine, and then does something pretty out there, and will definitely spell disaster for him, because he deposes his wife, which was, by the way, the queen of the dynasty, and also deposed his own son, the crown prince named Yi Zhou. Look, getting hitched with who was described as the most beautiful woman in China? All right, not bad, King Yo, but keeping the concubine? Bad. Deposing of your queen? Very bad. Getting rid of your rightful heir and crown prince and, yeah, biological son? Doubly bad. Making the concubine the new queen? Extremely bad. And then making the son you had with the concubine the crown prince? Alright, that's gonna end in tears level of bad. But that chicken, though, won't come home to roost for a few years. And just like the other evil and malicious concubines that saw out the Xia Dynasty's story and the Shang Dynasty's story, King Yo's concubine, Bao Si, was tough to please. And no, I'm not about to tell you of another alcohol lake being made. That does not happen here. Instead, King Yo looked to please Bao Si, who was his concubine, by just messing with the nobles. How did he mess with them? No, he didn't create some horrible torture device. No. He messed with them with the fun and easy joke of lighting the capital's warning beacons of an impending Chenrong barbarian attack, then laughing at the nobles who panicked and fled to the safety of the palace. Honestly, hilarious stuff, really. And this did amuse Baosu, and King Yo did this prank god-level joke several more times. But what does that story sound like? Why, yes, the boy who cried wolf because people just eventually stopped trusting the warning beacons. But again, that chicken would not come home to roost for a bit either. So three times today, I've mentioned these chickens coming home to roost later. So let's just refresh ourselves on these because they are about to come back to roost. 
The first was King Mu's unprovoked invasion some 200 years earlier of the West, and more specifically, of the Chenrong barbarians. Again, the invasion did nothing really to extend or grow the Western Zhou dynasty, apart from growing the list of people who wished to see it ruined. So there sat the angry Chenrong and company. Then came the fact that the rightful heir to the throne, Yi Zhou, who was the biological son of King Yo and the son of the original queen, Queen Shen, were just exiled for a concubine and, pardon my language, but a bastard son. The queen and her son fled to the eastern capital at Luoyang, with all of the riches they could hastily grab and carry. But they couldn't carry it all, and some of it was buried. And quick side note here, yes, modern historians and modern archaeologists have unearthed some of their buried treasure, which means that a lot of what I'm about to tell you probably did happen. King Yo didn't think that one out too well, though. Deposing but not killing his queen of noble blood, i.e. someone who was well-connected, and the rightful heir to the throne was just a recipe for disaster. And that chicken would come home to roost soon, too. And lastly, no one believed the warning beacons that indicated a Chenrong attack, because King Yo would always do the ha, got you trick with those beacons. And that was coming home to roost now, too. All three, by the way, at once. The first chicken to come home to roost or domino to fall into place was the fact that the rightful heir and the queen from a noble family had been illegally in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of heaven immorally deposed. Queen Shen's father was, yeah, pretty upset about this, as both his daughter and grandson had been, yeah, wrongfully deposed. But by himself, all Queen Shen's father could do was grumble. Because look, I mean, if he starts bad-mouthing too much, chances are he's going to find himself dead. And take the Zhou Dynasty on by himself? Yeah, good luck with that. If only there was some group of well-armed people who shared his own goal of bringing down the... Oh, now you see how these dominoes are going to fall. Because Queen Shen's father and other Western Zhou fugitives went right to, you guessed it, the Chenrong and other still pissed off barbarian tribes to the west. Didn't happen immediately, it took a couple years, but they eventually struck a deal. And yeah, I'm gonna clarify, no, they were not friends, but they both had common interests that they could both only achieve if they worked together. So finally, in around the year 772 or 771 BC, I'm sorry, the dates here are a bit murky, two of these chickens came to roost, and the third and final one was about to follow suit. The pissed off tribes were finally going to get their crack at the Zhou capital, and Queen Shen and her son, who many viewed as the rightful heir, were going to get their revenge. This weird alliance of sort amassed a sizable force and got to the capital walls pretty fast. This rebel, weird, pseudo-barbarian, half-noble army was seen a mile away. Figuratively, I mean, of course it was seen by more than a mile away, and they had known about it for a couple months. But nonetheless, the capital guard saw the Chenrong army and, yes, lit the warning beacons. And now you see the third and final domino or chicken coming back to roost here. 
because nobody, not a single soul, took the warning seriously. Even when King Yo pleaded for his guards, his army men, and his nobles to arm up and hunker down and protect him, nobody came. King Yo was, in the simplest sense, the boy who cried, Chen Rong. The army of the Chen Rong barbarians and the anti King Yo fugitives stormed the palace. King Yo was immediately struck down and killed as was his new crown prince that he had had with Bao Si the concubine. But Bao Si herself was actually just captured and soon accepted a bribe to leave. But now what? The queen's father and those others who were against the king needed the Chen Rong to help topple the king. But now what? The Chen Rong still hate you. They still hate the Zhou dynasty and they're going to keep raiding and pillaging until the end of time. So Pandora's box was really open here. The queen's father had essentially tried to kill his dorm hall neighbor by burning down this guy's dorm room. Yeah, look, exactly. That fire may complete the task at hand, i.e. get rid of King Yo, but now you have a raging fire right there knocking at your own door, i.e. the Chenrong barbarians. But that was not the first order of business, because the first order of business was reinstating the original crown prince, and to have him keep the dynasty going. Because look, no, this was not a dynasty-ending murder of a king. No. This was just a king-killing operation, and the dynasty will continue on. But yeah. The crown prince is still a child. Still, well, yeah. We're gonna have to deal with that one down the line. But not right now. The next issue, and arguably the way more important one, was that the Chenrong barbarians were now way more east, and way more in the immediate vicinity of the current capital of the Zhou dynasty. Well, I guess I should say, what's left of the capital, because, well, the Chenrong barbarians looted and destroyed it. So the nobles of the day opted to abandon the Haojing capital, which, by the way, is modern-day Xi'an, China, which is, yes, where they keep the terracotta warriors, and these nobles instead decided to make Luoyang, which was, at the time, just the eastern capital, the official capital. And with that, the Western Zhou dynasty was over. Barbarians forcing the western regions to move the capital to the east? Rome gets all the credit for that kind of story, sadly. But just like the fall of Rome, while the Zhou dynasty did survive, as it morphed from the Western Zhou into the Eastern Zhou, the Eastern Zhou dynasty was really the Holy Roman Empire compared to the once great actual Roman Empire. During the first half of the Eastern Zhou, from 770 BC to around 476 BC, the authority of the Zhou state continuously became less and less recognized as different dukes and other warlords or rulers around the dynasty became more and more autonomous. And soon, these dukes and warlords began to fight amongst themselves. And eventually, while yes, still technically under the auspice of the Zhou name, the states would all but break up and start the famed Warring States Period. But the midsection of the Eastern Zhou sees people watch as the once heavenly ordained monarchy becomes little more than a ceremonial power structure. Whatever happened to the days of Duke of Zhou and those oh-so-amazing virtuous leaders? 
while these times will prompt people like Kongzi, i.e. Confucius, to ask just that. And with the fall of the Western Zhou dynasty, I'm going to leave it here for this week. I will add that Baozi the concubine eventually killed herself when Chen Rong barbarians stormed her village. Next week, we will dive into the start of the Eastern Zhou, otherwise known as the Spring and Autumn period. And before I let you go, though, I just want to remind you to go to dormroomhistory.com, D-O-R-M-R-O-O-M-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y.com, dormroomhistory.com, and check out our new website. I think you're going to like it, and it really helps out when you can click on the individual episodes and see the maps and the drawings and the depictions of all the stuff we talk about on this show. So, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week on the History of China.